am wrong. You are wrong. We are wrong. I am wrong. He is wrong. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Seriously Wrong Podcast. Yeah, we're the wrong boys. I'm Sean, and that was... I am Aaron. <laughs> Sorry to cut you off if you were going to say my name for me. I was, but no, you totally... I... <laughs> you, you own it. I'm not complaining. Okay, good, good. And he's Aaron. Sorry, I just couldn't... I, <laughs> it's bubbling inside. I had to finish. <laughs> so, won't somebody please think of the children? I'm asking you, won't they? Um, no, I think they will. You think somebody will? No, I think they will. Okay, so that somebody answers my question. Think of the yeah, definitely. Here, let me just try thinking of the children for a second. Oh, interesting. Toys. It's a child's life. I just remembered it. I thought of it. Yeah, I was a child at one point myself, and I do remember really enjoying toys. Yeah, I don't mean to stereotype, but... Yeah, I wonder if there are kids who dislike all toys. They're very serious. They have like a little like briefcase. They have a laptop <laughs> in it. They're like, no, I, I maintain my email inbox. I don't have toys anymore. There's no games on this computer. That would turn it into a toy. I pay for the professional word processor suite <laughs> so I can draft my letters to friends and acquaintances. <laughs> Sorry, it's a bit, being a bit absurd. Obviously, when people say think of the children, they're imploring you to think of the political impacts of something on children. Oh, you want me to think of the children in a political context to make sort of ethical and social deliberations using them as an ethical nucleus? Yeah, sort of recommend how we should set society up, how we should keep it the same, what should we change, right. uh, with the end goal of you know supporting children, giving children the best life, the best shot at a good future, Etc. that kind of thing. Not just like anything to do with children. Oh, think of the children so that we can think of how best to crush them. I guess some people end up doing that, but I think it's usually kind think of... Think of the children as a source of food. Yeah, think of the children as like how much meat if we were to turn them into nuggets. Child nuggets. <laughs> that's the food of the future. That's where I got confused, because I thought you were telling me to think of the children like in general and right. just sort of remember their characteristics and... Yeah, that's why I came up with the toy. only thing you came up with. You didn't even think of school or play without toys, right, like learning. imaginative play. Well, that's an interesting thing about play, too. It's like that kid pretending to be a businessman with the word processor and all that sort of stuff. Like It kind of turns the briefcase into a toy. Yeah, it's a type of play because this hypothetical kid would be like trying on the role of a business person, adult, or whatever. Unless they're a literal employed boss baby type like, they're not just playing at being an executive. Like, <laughs> they're actually doing it. It's kind of like when, when you have a political system based around kings, where sometimes, like, a child becomes king. It's like a, a nine-year-old inherits a, a Fortune 500 company, and they let him run it, and it's called Kid Boss. And <laughs> it's a 1990s uh, family adventure movie, not to be confused with Boss Baby. Yeah, I'm unsure the origins of how a baby became a boss in Boss Baby. I haven't seen it, but... I think it's a man who's transformed into a baby. Oh, so it's not even a real baby? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man, I'm disappointed too. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs>
Yeah, no, they don't. They don't trust babies to run big companies in these DreamWorks movies. It's disgusting. I want to see a real boss baby. I want to see. I, I just assumed I was getting the story of how a baby More. came to be a boss. No, not how a boss came to be a baby. That's way less interesting. Yeah, they should me. call it "boss adult man in the body of a baby." Yeah, for accuracy, boss baby. I want you know the movie I want to see is Worker Baby. The story of how a worker is turned into a baby, or the story of how a baby becomes a worker. One seems like strange hijinks. The other seems like potentially an interesting developmental examination of how we turn babies into workers. Right, yeah. Maybe the whole plot is there's two different types of baby workers and the bosses make them fight with each other. So some of you were employed as babies. Some of you are adults who are turned into babies to become baby workers. And so I'll play you against each other to keep your wages down. Stories about overcoming that difference. But yeah, thinking of the children politically, I think there is an ethical clarity that can come in some instances of thinking about the impacts of social policies on children. Like, for example, poverty having a disproportionate impact on children. That's a good rhetorical strategy. It's also got a real ethical basis to it. Like, you can say, think of the children to some sort of absurd or ridiculous or far-right, regressive end, and that definitely happens. But the overall premise of thinking of the children in politics is worthwhile, even though it's sort of primarily associated with, you know, like, uh, satanic panic and, like... <laughs> right. Well, yeah, I think I think children are uniquely vulnerable, and so most political issues, like you mentioned poverty, most political issues that affect everyone are going to have disproportionate impacts on children. Like poverty sucks for everybody. Like say you're not getting enough food or you're not getting enough of anything you need is bad no matter what age you are. But children developmentally are more vulnerable and also like need more of certain things. So not getting enough of it is going to have a disproportionate impact on them. There's like a real logical basis to it on that level. Uh, but yeah, unfortunately, it is used a lot of the time for rhetorical effect on arguments that are like framed around like bigoted assumptions, things that don't actually help kids. But like if we're talking about thinking of the children in terms of making sure everybody gets enough food to eat, talking about thinking of the children and making sure that everyone has access to health care, that everyone has access to education, stimulating environments to fun, to all the things that people need to live good lives. I'm, I'm definitely in favor of that. Like, Yeah, we should take the impacts or potential impacts on developing minds really, really seriously in politics. And we should actively think about the ways that the society that we want to create and the pathways towards getting to that society that we endorse and participate in are made in ways that are friendly and accommodating and make space for both children and their parents. In that sense, I think thinking of the children is an absolute political priority. Yeah. But they just let anybody say, think of the children these days. <laughs> Yeah. And I think, yeah, partially because it is such a valid concern. And like, I think we all like want to protect kids. Like it hits an emotional punch for most people. It also makes it a really effective rhetorical strategy uh, that it makes it an attractive rhetorical strategy to people who, yeah, want to use it for invoking in people, not like real dangers that children face, but like fake dangers in order to uphold hierarchical norms that, that hurt people.
Oh, that uh, fire's looking a little low. Maybe I'll just toss an extra log on there. You want to sit out here for a little while more still, right? Oh, yeah, you know, it's super nice. You can see the stars and all that. Beautiful. Really cool. Out here camping. Hey, so I was reading uh, something online the other day. It's, it's just the world is out of control, man. Uh, like, you know, I try to take a step, a step back, try to, like, look kind of cynically at it all. You know me, but... Yeah. Uh, no, yeah, there's a lot of weird stuff in the news lately, definitely. So apparently in, in the school in Toronto, they put litter boxes in the bathroom so students who could identify as cats could use the litter boxes instead of toilets and urinals. I mean, the world's I, going upside down, man. Yeah, I don't think... I really don't think that's true. Uh, it, so, it sounds like something that was made up for clickbait, maybe. Well, you can't... You know, sometimes they just want to get people all riled up and be like, oh, they look at what they're doing to children, but it's actually just, like, not true. Like, well, I mean, listen... Happens like, a lot. That's not the only one. Like, a, a teacher was fired in Victoria for not using 15-syllable pronouns that use non-English characters. Right, yeah, unstandard phonemes that Anglos are bad at pronouncing. I saw that they, story, They were actually. fired for not being able to pronounce it correctly. No, yeah, I, I saw that story. 15-syllable pronoun. And I looked it up, and it actually wasn't true at all. That just didn't happen. The teacher actually didn't even claim that. They said something else, but someone misunderstood it and wrote an article. Uh, and then all these YouTube channels spread it around, and it just literally wasn't even close to the truth. Well, the thing that makes it believable is that these days that is close to the truth. It's really not, though. I mean, like, I, I believe, I know what you're saying. There's a lot of I mean, you stuff know that, happening in the world, so you know, it's like. It's, you know what they're doing in California now? Uh. What Mandatory bisexuality. They're holding kids back unless they demonstrate that they're becoming more bisexual over time until they're, they reach 50-50. That just really doesn't seem true. It's true. Yeah, look it up. Look it up. I it's, think the whole... I read an entire article about it. LGBT and I saw, thing. It's usually just about accepting people how they are, not trying to make them more bisexual or less, or more gay or less I'm gay. I'm telling you, man, straight. that's not the half of it. I feel like these days your perception on what's going on these days is a bit skewed. I think because you keep seem to keep making these same mistakes in well, the I mean, same if, direction. Wait, I mean the world's so wild these days you can't tell the difference a, between lies and the truth. That's I mean I think if anything that says something about society I, that I couldn't tell whether or not it's it's the difference between satire and reality is just blurring day by day. I think that says something about society. Yeah, well, it says something about society and that there's so many fake stories like this out there that you would think things like that are happening. You know, in Wisconsin, they had prostitutes talking to five-year-old children at career day uh, about how prostitution is empowering. Yeah, I don't know if that's true. I don't, Pretty I, like, sure I, it is. I, did you read that on the same website where you read all these other things? Because Yeah, websites, pages... Yeah, I feel... I, I'm not... Who's tracking? That's, like, details. Yeah, I might not always remember that, too, but I would, like, look back to the original source, kind of where it came from, because I just don't think... it's. It just seems really unlikely that they would be at career day. You know, in New Zealand, they're teaching children that 2 plus 2 equals racist? Okay, that one, it just... Uh, it's definitely not true because no, two plus two equals four nope, and i'm not anymore I guarantee you every math class that exists that's what i was saying is still teaching that currently and there aren't classes teaching that 
adding two numbers together equals a concept. That's what you would think. Of oppression. It's not just but, what I would think, it's what I these continue days, to think. Excuse me, the, I, these days... I just feel like a lot of these things are being spread by people who want to take advantage of our natural inclination to protect children, to sort of spread a political agenda and to kind of tar progressives with like all these things that they're saying that are happening that aren't happening or they're like altering details overblowing things change they're just because there are discussions about racism you can have in math class but it's not two plus two equals racism or, or about math class or ways that like math historically like i feel like you're being misled no i don't just i should say this stronger than that you you are being misled I'd feel like a bad friend if I didn't tell you that. Oh, yeah. Well, no, thank uh, I'll keep that. Maybe keep running these by me. When you find them, just ask me true or false. Or I don't know if you believe me, but... In Winnipeg, Manitoba, milkmen must only deliver soy milk from now on. Do milkmen even still exist? I believe so in Winnipeg. But they totally are forbidden from distributing milk these days. Can you get... Just pure soy. So it's just a soy milk distribution service. Yeah. I mean, it's probably not true, but if it is true, it seems fine. I read about like, it. Like, can you still buy cow milk at the grocery store? I think so, yeah, but the milkmen don't do it anymore. Because part of this weird woke agenda. Yeah. There's just, anytime you see something that says woke agenda, it's probably not true. You say I'm being misled, but I've read about it on one day, I read about it on another day, I read about it on another day, and eventually... Over enough days, I've read about that so many different days that it's one of the main things I've read about because I've read about it a lot and it's yeah. I mean, it, well, it's all it, my other contexts. Yeah, I feel like it's it does say something about society that you can kind of enter into this bubble where you keep seeing these things over and over. Like I haven't heard of almost any of these because I don't pay attention Do your own to research. those. Well. I mean, when I hear about these types of things, I do do my own research, and then I find out they're not true. But well, if you trust the news, like if you trust the news, no, to I just tell you trust really my own research. On. I'm saying you have to do your own research, right? That's what because I, the news isn't talking about these things at all. So it, you're yeah. trusting what the news is not saying. You're saying the news didn't report on it, therefore it couldn't possibly be happening. And no offense. No, that's not what I said. I said I researched them and I found they're not happening. And the news doesn't talk about them, which, if they weren't happening, kind of lines up really well, right? Like yeah, they but that also talk. says something about our society. If the news isn't covering it... Isn't covering things that aren't happening? Well, if, if the news isn't covering something that is happening... Right, but that's, that's different from what we're talking look into. about. Now. No, that's not what, that's, what, that's what you're talking about. What I'm talking about is the news not talking about something that is happening, and that's a story in itself. That would be a story. And yeah, that's if why that you was need... But that's all these examples you've given, I'll you, bet you... That's why you need independent researchers to journalists the journalists. I'll bet you $250 that none of the things you said just now were true. Well, anyway, I mean, who cares? If I, you know, maybe enough about politics. Let's just, we'll put a pin in that, come back to it later. Maybe start talking about religion, you filthy Protestant. Oh, yeah, I can debate your Catholic ass all night. Let's throw another log on the fire. You want to think about the children, teaching them Catholicism? Disgusting. Uh, yeah, why don't you just submit to the divine authority of the Pope, and then we'll talk, okay? 
Yeah, a fat chance. Oh, where's your pope? I can't find your pope. Oh, what, what, you guys don't have a pope? Oh, well, weird. Fucking Protestants, man. That's actually a strength of Protestantism. You know, we're a diverse bunch. There's kind of like a long history of this sort of argument being used for different, you know, hierarchical, discriminatory, and bigoted causes, right? Like there was, they used think of the children arguments with women getting the vote, like that women, yeah. women voting would take away a time to care for their children. Yeah, there's so, a, yeah. So think of the children, we shouldn't allow women to vote so they can focus on children instead of participating in deliberative first past the post democracy every four years to pick between two people who are cousins. Yeah, I was just reading about that, too. It's so, like, because it sounds so ridiculous to be like, oh, think of the children. We can't let women vote. But you just, like, connect a few other weird hierarchical, like, women should be in the home, should be taking care of children. It's still ridiculous anyway, because as you point out, it doesn't take that long to vote. It's not like... <laughs> I'm not saying women should be in the house raising kids anyway, but even if you think that, it doesn't make sense even within their own argument that this would like somehow hurt their ability to do that uh, if they were also voting literally makes zero sense. But it's an argument that packs an emotional punch that people used at the time. I was reading this article in The Atlantic from 1903 saying why women don't want suffrage. It was the title of the article or something very close to that, making amongst other arguments this point that they should be taking care of children so it'll hurt kids um, and then i guess there would also probably be like think of the children arguments used for integration in the u.s like when yeah. they stopped having segregation between white and black students or white and black businesses yeah there's just like a lot of like generalized racist like oh letting black kids into white schools will make the schools worse they'll behave poorly and like degrade the educational level, et cetera, et cetera. There's also like really weird specific things I saw. There was this thing about how white girls couldn't use the bathrooms anymore because there were black girls in there. It was like, I guess, implied just that it was scary for them or something. But then there was also things about uh, diseases being spread. There was like, there, that also came up with like pool segregation, like they're dirty, so they'll spread disease. It's just like racist shit but like if you frame it around like kids our kids use those pools these are our daughters in these bathrooms it hits people in the gut where they're like oh no i don't want kids catching diseases i guess we better keep society racially segregated but if you just say like oh we have to keep society racially segregated think of the children like it literally makes no sense unless you start like connecting these weird dots yeah and i th feel i guess it would be like the late 80s and 90s where you have like think of the children arguments being applied to like depicting gay people in media or like having public figures who are openly gay. Is it, that's like a nineties thing, I guess the public figure stuff depiction probably a little earlier. Yeah. I mean, that's still going on now to some extent, but there'd be a time where people would be like, think of the children. If people, if little girls see Ellen DeGeneres is a lesbian on her sitcom or is even <laughs> a straight woman on a sitcom played by a lesbian, then that's going to give them irreconcilable confusion about the world. And they're, <laughs> they're, yeah. they're going to be like a, a Pokemon who's got a confusion buff just hitting themselves uncontrollably. Yeah. Well, there's like, yeah, the Anita Bryant 1980s Save the Children campaign 
which is like, yeah, one of the main examples of the anti-gay save the children thing from that time period was about specifically banning gay people from being teachers because if they are in the classroom, they'll be recruiting children. So they use this term recruitment. Like the Anita Bryant thing is homosexuals can't reproduce, so they have to recruit, which also doesn't make sense because, I mean, I'm sure our listeners all know this, but you know, conversion therapy doesn't work. Like people try to recruit gay kids into being straight all the time. It doesn't work. But like keeping gay teachers out of school, not even like that they're going to like, because now there's a culture war on think of the children of like curriculums that acknowledge gay people exist. That's not even like curriculum. It's just like, oh yeah, if they're there, they'll like, they'll go after the kids and people are like, oh no, I want, I don't want my kids being gone after by gay men in classrooms that I think like having positive representations of gay people in media wasn't a thing that came up a lot in the eighties, but so you're probably right. That's more of a nineties Ellen DeGeneres uh, time period concern. I think I remember that happening too around like sex ed curriculums, like think of the children as another place, like, like all the, the evidence over time shows that it's really beneficial to teach children about the basics of safe sex and the risks of like young pregnancy and disease transmission and stuff like that. Like it's really beneficial to not have an abstinence only education, but like there's a historic culture war that's still going on today. But I remember that being like debated when I was a kid about whether or not it should be taught in schools. Yeah. And also just in general, like I learned sex ed, but like the current culture war around gay and trans kids, mostly trans kids is just around like telling kids that it's okay if you love someone your same gender or if you uh, don't feel like you're the gender you were assigned at birth. But now they've taken this concept of recruiting and swapped it out for the term grooming, which already had a definition beforehand of like eroding children's boundaries to start a sexual relationship after they turn 18. And now they're using that term to describe like accepting trans kids in school at all. Like making it a normal thing that what the school's position is that trans kids are real. You should use their name. You should use their pronouns. Tra trans people are real. So if there's a kid who is trans, like you treat them with the same respect as everybody else. Uh, and this is like unleashed the current wave of think of the children rhetoric in like, yeah, major. And it's like, it's such a small thing, but like, or not such a small thing, but like, it's such a powerful thing to have like authority people in your life saying like, you know, it's okay to be who you are, but there's just like, yeah, all this fear around like the idea that like kids are going to be turned trans. Yeah. Like there's people flipping out over stuff like having a rainbow flag up in the classroom. This is, this is like really, really small stuff and it's getting blown up and, uh, yeah, I got caught up in saying it was small. Because I'm like, well, it isn't small to the kids who would actually feel left out if they were in a non-accepting environment. Like, I would have loved to have a teacher have, like, a pride flag up and just, like, a general, like, stated position that it's okay to not be straight uh, when I was going to school. And that wasn't there. So, but, like, I feel like to anyone else, it should be a small thing. Like, it shouldn't, like, matter to people who it's not there to specifically include. 
Yeah, part of the way that these arguments are advanced to falls into this sort of like kids are the property of adults logic of like, like I saw this quote, it made me laugh so hard. And it was like an anti-sex ed protester being like, you can't teach my children how to give a blowjob. That's my job. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, <laughs> it's so funny it's also yeah part of what makes it so funny is like people who are against this kind of thing are extremely confused about what's going there's a big difference between teaching how to give a blowjob and teaching just that blowjobs exist and people like because how implies you're like teaching technique and like you know, like <laughs> yeah, it's like a cosmo magazine <laughs> yeah like <laughs> five five ways to blow his mind <laughs> which like i agree i don't think we need to teach sex technique in school but i do think like (laughs) this is blowjobs this is what diseases can and can't be transmitted this is what it is this is some of the safety stuff around it it's fine it's normal but i think that's all you need to teach are related to blowjobs you don't need to teach how um Yeah, and also, I mean, I understand what could, just to extend a small olive branch, like, I can understand people feeling unsure about not having control over everything that your children is exposed to in the world, and being like, I am the one who discloses that blowjobs exist. (laughs) It's not up to these educators to disclose that. Yeah, but it's Uh, also just, like, an insane level. Like, you can't do that for anything, like... Yeah, it's a, it's a type of like hyper control. Like, I'll, I'll before that grade five sex education session, I became aware of blowjobs at some point. Um, yeah, same. Yeah, if you want to get ahead of everyone, like you gotta teach your kids about blowjobs really young, like to get ahead of any of the other kids potentially teaching them that first. Yeah, the whole school or like daycare environments plus media, YouTube. Like, just being aware of the idea broadly. Yeah. I don't know. It's a losing battle. Like <laughs> Definitely. I, <laughs> yeah. What What do you remember from your sex ed in school? I'm curious if it's the same as my memory. Um, yeah. There was some. There was someone who came, and she wasn't part of the faculty at the school. Mm. Or she, at the very least, wasn't my teacher. And there was just, I think, one class that I remember, like one sex ed session that, like, kids laughed a lot at and she like put a condom on a banana and <laughs> i never saw I, I always saw that on tv and i was like when are we getting the condom on the banana it never <laughs> <laughs> yeah oh yeah we got that we thought it was fucking hilarious yeah um <laughs> i remember in fifth grade we had a mini course within health class called family life that <laughs> sounds like a magazine <laughs> Yeah, it had like a booklet too with family life on it. And you had to get your parents to sign a form that you were allowed to go to it. But they split the class into boys and girls and talked a little bit about like anatomy, but also described the mechanics of heterosexual sex in very basic detail. When I was in grade five, 10 years old, I don't remember them talking about any safety stuff like condoms or anything, but I do remember learning that in, I think, eighth grade. So to me, like it was the eighth grade for me too, but you don't remember this fifth grade teaching the mechanics in health class thing. Maybe. I don't know. 
that. Yeah, I don't know. We I just remember the splitting up into two different classes. And there was a question box, which we always packed full of like ridiculous questions. Oh, uh, shit. No, no, I do. Yeah, and it was fifth grade. Yeah, totally. No, yeah, splitting up into... It was like two classes got shuffled by gender into... Right. And then, yeah, question box. <laughs> totally. Yeah, yeah. Because, like, yeah, I remember, like, we were 10 years old, and we already, like the boys in this class were already joking about sex things far beyond what they were teaching us. So like oh, we yeah. had like questions to like, uh, yeah, they're like inappropriate questions that he didn't answer. Some he did answer, even though they're kind of asked jokingly and like, it was very awkward, but we, I remember laughing a lot with all of our questions that because you could just put whatever you want in the box. And <laughs> Yeah, uh, I remember someone asking a question like, what is blank, with blank being a really obscene term. <laughs> right, right, right. Oh, yeah, like, thing. I don't know if this came up specifically, but definitely a type of question would be like, what is a rusty trombone? Or like weird sex things like that that kids hear. And you would just like, Peach would be like, okay, I'm not answering that. Um, <laughs> but like, yeah, I don't know. So to me, like, the whole sex ed thing is so weird that like like i definitely think it would have been better if we had been taught about different kinds of sex that people had just say like hey you do these different things it's normal it's not bad and you know safe if there's any relevant safety thing for any particular like major sex thing people do you use condoms etc but yeah i don't know seeing people now talk about it they're like you're gonna like describe sex to 10 year olds i'm like well when i was a 10 year old they described sex to me in my catholic elementary school it didn't seem like that big of a deal we all already kind of knew and we just laughed at it yeah <laughs> yes it was awkward but like also it's just probably good to like teach kids these things um but yeah it gets spun into like weird shit yeah that actually that demonstrates really well too how like there's a in the places where you have this you know uh think of the children being deployed for these bad causes there's always an inverse argument like if you really want to think about all the children <laughs> think about what the actual impact is like the consequences of these these given disputes like not having integration was really bad for children in a bunch of ways, in particular black children. Yeah. Uh, women not having the vote or other rights in society uh, is bad for children, and especially girls. Not having sex education is bad for children if they're getting pregnant at young ages and they don't have the basic tools and knowledge to defend themselves against being taken advantage of or to participate in things that they can't fully consent to or understand or... Yeah. And like you also like if you think of one of the other school things that people argue about, like especially like when I was younger, it was a bigger thing like creationism and evolution. Should we teach evolution in schools or like evolution being taught in schools being attacked because it's my parental right to teach my kids creationism instead? It's the same structure of an argument like I own my kid and I get to own what information they're exposed to. But it kind of shows, like, yeah, just how ridiculous it really is. I feel like the uh, uh, sex ed stuff gets artificially inflated by sort of the fears of child predation, which is, like, you know, a good enough fear to have. Like, anytime adults are, like, interacting with kids in a way, teaching them things about sex, there should be safeguards involved in terms of, like, other adults. and they, Like, just in general, like, you don't want to, like, 
facilitate bad boundaries between kids and authority figures. So, you know, it's a topic you want to handle with probably more care in that regard than evolution. Because like, yeah, I don't know, my like olive branch, like the reason I understand why people get scared about this stuff, or like if you look at libs of TikTok, uh, for anyone who doesn't know, Libs of TikTok is a Twitter account right-wing media personality. It <laughs> uh, started off just kind of like posting videos from TikTok on Twitter, making fun of those SJW teachers and stuff, uh, but was taken very seriously by the right-wing media and kind of becomes like a vanguard of accusing random queer people on the internet, especially teachers, librarians, people like that, of being groomers. 99.5% of what gets posted on libs of TikTok is like either just like outright lies or like shoddily edited things that hide the actual points being made or just literally people saying things that are completely 100% fine that because of the implication of being on the page get read in ways that are wrong. But there is that they might point. have a funny color of hair or something. Right, yeah. But the, yeah, there is that like 0.5%. I'm thinking of one story in particular. There was like a teacher in Hawaii who had like tweets about the importance of sex ed and things. And then they were let go from their teaching position for like child sex predation, like legitimately bad school looking into a potential legal action, a real case of like bad behavior. So like, yeah, I understand the desire to make sure that never ever happens and that's good but like that has nothing to do with like that part's wrong already it has nothing to do with believing the kids deserve to be taught accurate things about sex or that gay people and trans people exist and it's okay yeah the, the conflation of that and these wider subject matters th through this hierarchical lens it's building on that argument being true and having a real ethical insight to it which is like children should not be exploited they should be protected from exploitation and that's being used to attack vulnerable communities by spreading lies about them intentionally yeah and that's yeah like libs of tiktok represents that but there's a whole sub industry of this this like finding some piece of fractional truth that when you cut it up a certain way and you edit it a certain way you can insinuate something across the backdrop of all these logical connections that have been made about the whole like culture war over like the groomer narrative. Like it is, it's a disturbing and horrible and like skin crawling fact that child abuse is like part of our history as a species, as a, as a culture and here in Canada and the U S variety of places all around the world. There's traditionally sanctioned types of child abuse, whether that's, physical punishment and discipline and also child marriage and sexual exploitation. Yeah. You talk about grooming. It's not something that like LGBT people invented in the last 20 years. Like it was very normalized for a long time for like literal adult men to marry like 12 year old girls still legal in a lot of States for like pretty young kids. It's really weird. Yeah, I kind of hate the way it kind of, it becomes a partisan thing through like these networks of lies. But it, it is a fact that in the U.S., like Republican state legislatures push child marriage legislation uh, with enough frequency that you could find three or four or five examples on Google right now if you searched. 
Like that's that's literally grooming in the textbook definition kind of way. I mean, it's based in an idea of traditionalism that normalizes abuse of children. So just having a sincere interest in the well-being of children and trying to look at like where the problem areas are, that's like a good place to start. Yeah. <laughs> when yeah, compared yeah. to drag queen story time, which I agree with and think is not grooming or, or is it <laughs> not only do I agree with drag queen story time, I think it's great. Yeah, I think it's great too. I mean I mean also like if you're worried about grooming in the classroom, just a really great way to do that might be to increase funding to education, to public education, so that you can have more actively involved adults in any situation to like be there, have more authority figures kids can go to if there's any problems, more explanations about proper boundaries between kids and adult authority figures, but also just like, yeah, having more adults around, like you're going to be much less likely to have kids being isolated by authority figures in weird situations. Like, but a lot of the time that doesn't happen because there's like weird underfunding and stuff. And yeah. Yeah. I think also when it comes to defense against abuse and exploitation, like there's an argument to expand sex education in the direction of being more explicit about that sort of like self-defense and like what the signs of grooming relationships are. Teaching children about defense against ways that boundaries can be violated feels like a reasonable course of action if it's a large concern and would naturally fit underneath the sex education umbrella. Yeah. And I think like to some extent it already is like as soon as you're describing what sex is and isn't. I saw some story about like this person saying, I didn't realize that I was being abused until I learned about what sex was in school. And they said, you know, this isn't a thing that kids and adults should do with each other. And I was like, oh, this is like, I just had no context for what was happening to me before this. Uh, yeah, I think being extra explicit about it is good. And like it, the more subtle grooming, emotional thing probably isn't covered, uh, but should be. But yeah, just in general, yeah, it's protective to give kids more information about this and why it's wrong. Yeah, I think that's really part of what makes sex education important. It's like being in a state about, of total naivety with that kind of thing is potentially dangerous. If someone who is abusive wanted to exploit that, and then also you're inevitably going to be getting some messages trickling in through other kids, through social relationships and stuff. And like when kids are alone, talking about fucked up swear words that they heard or like the crazy sex position joke thing that they heard on some radio show that was meant for adults or whatever. Like that shit is like all inevitable and baked in. So it's like, how do you give them the tools to navigate that space? Like they're going to be exposed to sexuality because sexuality is part of being human. Yeah, yeah. and kids don't always have the best information. I remember some pretty bad <laughs> sex information <laughs> from other kids as a kid. Yeah, I definitely heard that sex was kissing each other on... <laughs> I definitely heard, like, that was one of my earliest running into sex at the daycare kind of thing, was like someone, the Cabbage Patch dolls, kissing each other on the privates. <laughs> I'd have to be like six or something, like really, really young, five, four, maybe. Yeah, I remember uh, being having an argument with a friend about whether girls had holes in their private parts or if it was just like a patch of hair that just 
I think he maybe seen like one picture one time or something. He was like, no, it's just a patch of hair. Like didn't understand the anatomy there, obviously. But like, yeah, it's like <laughs> kids don't always know accurate information. <laughs> it's good to give them accurate information. But yeah, to a certain degree, I think it makes everyone a little uncomfortable to talk about because abuse is like so grotesque and like any sort of connection between like talking about sex education and stuff naturally brings up these spaces of like thinking about yourself as a kid and stuff you like that. You want to talk about sex with kids? Yeah, it's... Yeah, and th that sort of thing makes me feel awkward joking about it because it's just like it is really a grotesque and horrible thing. That it's like really casually joked about too. So like any sort of double entendre that can get into any sort of like problematic space is you're, you're always on like hyper guard about that when talking about sex education and children. But I just think it's, it is best. Like if you're thinking about the children, then you should think about the full context of that sex education happens in and like what values it has. And similarly, like we want to think about the children when it comes to gay and trans youth, which is not the same as sex education. Yeah, I was just going to say, I hate, overlap very much. I hate how those conversations, like there's a bit of overlap in that like sex ed should include uh, not just typical heterosexual sex, but that's about where the overlap ends and like just teaching, you know, gay people exist, gay marriage, love. There's th There's lots of things to do with being gay or bi that has nothing to do with sex that also need to be taught and like same with being trans it's not the I, I hate how those things get conflated even though we've kind of been doing it it's because it's like all part of this school battleground right now where it gets like mixed up with each other is like all part of the same thing but yeah teaching accurate information about sex and teaching acceptance of gay and trans people aren't necessarily the same conversation and the conflation of them into one conversation uh kind of yeah perpetuates this like weird sexualized grooming children narrative kids kids know about love before they know about sex so yeah we should be children will be naturally taught about gay people existing in a non-sexual context first like it's just you can tell kids that gay people exist at any age. There's nothing. There's yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, like it's, it's and same with trans people. You can teach kids about trans people at any age. Sometimes people are born and everyone says it's a boy, but they don't feel like a boy. They continue to feel like a girl forever. And so they can be a girl and that's okay. Like that doesn't, there's nothing to do with sex in that description. Like, or you could also be a boy who uh, dresses up in drag. That's that's cool too. Yeah, that's the thing too. Is I think that this it's it it the particulars thread to, through to the universal in a way. In that the attack on gay and trans people targets them primarily, but has implications for people who fall outside of those groups because it's a, it's an attack on people trusting themselves it's like an attack on people having individuality like i think the real reason that these tight ass think of the children lying fucks hate drag queen story time is not because they actually think there's any threat to children or anything inappropriate happens or anything like it takes five minutes of investigation to just find out that's obviously not the case the, the thing they're really concerned about is the way that the drag queen represents someone who is 
being themselves and being funny and just doing whatever they want, dressing however they want, talking and acting and joking and playing however they want. They're setting a spectrum. It's like, it's like shifting the Overton window of individuality and saying, you can be whoever you want. You can even be this. You can even be someone who wears this extreme outfit and acts in particular w- ways that are like often stigmatized and like tight ass, like rigid society about like how loud you talk or how you're like. Yeah, how expressive and, uh, you know, the motions you make with your hands and the tone of your voice. So I, I think it is about more than just this like fake story being put forward of like there being some danger or negative impact to children or it could be traumatizing. It's like, I think that's all just post hoc kind of like. Yeah, it makes even less sense for a drag queen story than for teachers because drag queens, like they don't have like, the teachers have the same kids in their class all year. You could pull a kid aside after class, talk to them. Or, <laughs> just thinking it through, like drag queens, they come for like an hour and read a book and then leave and they're at a library and the parents are there and the other librarians are there. It's just like, there's zero danger, like just necessarily like there's the only danger there is, is ideological. The kids are going to think that it's okay to be different. Yeah. And the way that I, I feel like the thing about drag Queens too, is because they're so colorful and they're often like, have extravagant outfits and stuff there's something about the drag queen form it feels almost like setting the slider on a video game to like max of just like seeing like this humanity like really just like pop into the extreme i think that the value that that it has for for children to be exposed to performers who demonstrate confidence a really extreme amount of confidence while also demonstrating an extreme amount of difference is beneficial for children to be able to see a world that has room for them yeah and i think that's the thing with the rainbow flag too is like the rainbow flag also means sort of diversity in general like the beauty and wonder of diversity is demonstrated in the metaphor of the rainbow in particular with the lgbt community but also um, in other contexts as well so like to take away the celebration of rainbows the celebration of complementary difference from the classrooms is a culture war that goes deeper than just cracking down on gay and trans kids, although it's certainly that. It's also a war on cracking down on the idea that children can be who they feel that they are, whatever that is. And it's it's to crush them into being what the system, like generic student form, generic human form is the ideal and deviations from it are implicitly ostracized. Yeah, we're implementing a new school pride flag, a worker, uh, Is it just shades of gray or it's like a gray flag? I don't know. There's probably some flag that's already gray. I was, <laughs> but it just struck me as funny to like d- minimize the diversity. It's like, no, no, no. We can't be any color on the rainbow. We're just allowing a few colors, the ones that fit into capitalist society best. Yeah. The flag is made up of entirely gray and off gray gears, which are all exactly the same size working together <laughs> in perfect harmony. Beautiful, perfectly enmeshing gears, all exactly the same. The school pride flag. Welcome back, everybody, to 55 Plus Outrage, the most popular news show for males in the plus 55 age category who are well off and outraged at the state of society. We have a very special interview today on the show with an exciting new up-and-coming talent 
in the politics arena. But it's a name you might have heard before, Traditional Jones. Traditional Jones, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. You were my favorite boxer as a child. Me and my dad, we used to always watch your boxing matches, your fights. He would say, oh, he's so strong. Right. He always wins the fights. Yeah, I've been a fighter for a long time. A lot of people know me for my fighting, and I'm humbled by that. People don't expect, you know, a little kid like me, growing up in the suburbs, could ever become the, a world-famous boxer and then go into a senatorial run. A lot of people have doubted me along the way. But look at me now. To me, it makes perfect sense to make the jump from boxing to senatorial runs, because as you already pointed out, you fight, fight, fight in both arenas. Both are like fighting. Yeah. And over the last couple of years, I've started reading things online. I've done some of my own research and I've got some of my favorite mm -hmm. pages and yeah. share memes with my friends and started to have sort of another interest, which is the children and their well-being. I mean, the whole world's turned upside down. Say no more. I know exactly what you mean. Litter boxes, yeah. adult diapers. 15 syllable pronouns. Yeah. That stuff inspired me to act. As well, it should inspire any person who understands the truth to act. I understand you actually have a platform yeah, the to save, save the, the children. children. Yeah, Save the children, yeah. Please, our audience is dying to know. How do we do it? How do we save the children? Yeah, well, I may have hung up my boxing gloves, but these are two metaphorical gloves that you could wear for a one-two policy punch to save children. Nice, um, nice. Yeah. And the first punch is to remove pride flags, rainbow flags, oh, um, yeah, and other gender flags gender stuff yeah here there's tens of thousands of those flags now and they're all disgusting right I agree. messages like be yourself or Ugh. you are accepted here accepting them no matter what as, as no, far as i'm concerned this is sexual not. harassment of our children it needs to stop thank you you know so many politicians are afraid to say it right that's probably comes from your time in the ring not being afraid yeah a lot of your traditional insider politicians they are afraid to protect children Right. And so, of course, the second punch, the, the, the two to the one, two. So one is pride flags. That's already quite a punch. I say get them all out across all the schools. Yeah, that second punch, you're winding up, and I'm in such anticipation for it. So my other commitment is to legalize or where otherwise necessary, protect the already legal status of romantic and sexual grooming of minors by adult men, particularly men who are powerful have high position in society. We want to fully expedite the process of connecting adult men to young partners for child marriage. Thank you. Yeah, please. And I assume you buy into all the sort of pseudo-intellectual evolutionary biology type justifications for this type of thing. Uh, and religious justifications as well. And it's, I mean, you look in history, there's been a lot of this, and I'm a traditional guy. That's why my parents named me traditional. We were a traditional family. Right. And really, this is about the freedom of adult men to protect children. Right, exactly. And who will protect a child from grooming better than her beloved adult husband? Exactly. So after that, my platform kind of falls off and there's not much more details. Well, you don't really need more details after that. I mean, that. that's the I point. Mean, it's already two punches. I mean, you don't want to pummel us all to death with good ideas. Yeah, some weaker boxers would need more punches to right. land a knockout. But this, I think, is a one-two punch knockout. And I will be going to the Senate. I mean, mathematically, like just looking at the demographics here and past electoral results, I'm guaranteed to go to the Senate. The other party doesn't even run candidates part of the time. And I'm like handpicked. I'm like their guy. So Absolutely. I've just basically been appointed 
here in this context. Will of the people have spoken. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. They do. All the they want children they protected. And who better to protect a child than a fighter? Thank you. Yes, we need a fighter to fight on behalf of children. Yeah, thank you for being you. Thank you for hosting this platform for patriots who are above the age of 55, tend to be in certain income demographics. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, well, I'm, and I'm well paid to do it. Well, as you should be, I mean, with an, commanding an audience share like that. Oh, thank you. And I look forward to when I'm in Senate having a very special relationship with you to help make sure the news is always accurate. Next up on 55 Plus Outrage, these disgusting sexual Marxists have been having sex with grocery items at the store and then putting them back on the shelves. And they say that we're bigots if we won't eat them. More details tonight. I remember you saying before that this subject really makes you like angry online compared to other subjects. Yeah. Like when you see people stigmatizing, talking about like gay people existing and like gay love existing in school, that it it's the thing that makes you like angry online. Yeah, yeah. And connecting it to like child sex abuse as like, there's like all these implications that it's just like, uh, I, I, it makes me extremely angry. Uh, it makes me angry because I know what it was like to be a kid who didn't get positive messaging in schools about being gay. Uh, but also just makes me angry the like to feel like you're being accused of something just for existing. Yeah, I don't know. I think it's pretty common that things that directly affected you <laughs> make you the angriest in politics. When I think of lives of TikTok in specific, I just feel like intense rage. Yeah, it's twisted. Well, and it's a it's an attempt to dehumanize yeah. gay people. Yeah. And trans people. Like it's and it's not just like it's it's not some innocent schmuck who doesn't know any better, you know, repeating something. <laughs> you know you know what I mean? Like it's not some like passive cultural ingrained unthought about homophobia. It's like an intentional political campaign to like try to ostracize sexual and gender diversity for the purposes of like having more people live as straight and cis than would if they were given freedom. Like, it's a political campaign. This being intentionally pushed by bad actors is worth mentioning. Like, libs of TikTok, when they post shit, it's not innocent. Like, they, they're being corrected in the comments of the way they've misinterpreted or misrepresented what happened. Yeah. They have all the information required to take down stuff that's not true, do their due diligence with their platform, and they do the exact opposite intentionally. And they're just one actor in this space. Like, it is a malicious, intentional attack. And that's the context in which we're responding to, which is why this stuff gets tied together. But, like, I don't know, it makes me angry also. Uh <laughs> yeah. It, it also, like, really, like, for... Like thinking about the recruitment thing, like for a while, I remember, especially when I was younger, like hearing the, I don't know what the word recruitment, but the idea that like people become gay or trans because they were abused. And I was like, I have no memory of ever being sexually abused as a child, but like thinking that like maybe I was and I don't remember it and like trying to like remember things or like just like fucked with my head to be like, 
oh, is that what, is that how it works? And then it's like, well, no, like, I'm pretty sure no. Even now I'm like, maybe, maybe there's some like thing I don't remember. I don't know. I'm pretty sure not. It just like telling those kinds of things to kids is messed up. Yeah, no, and and not only the brutal, accusatory, homophobic angle, but the naive, innocent children being like the front lines of the battlefield of like repressive meme war of like putting these weird fucking ideas, these destructive ideas in children's heads over issues that they need, like, like coming into sexuality, like going from a non-sexual being to a sexual being at the appropriate age through the developmental process is already a confusing self-doubting and anxiety inducing time like then to throw in the mat the different types of thought shapes that these fuckers throw into the minds of kids at that moment for the purposes of trying to keep people in the closet so they can hold together political coalitions is some deeply twisted shit yeah, the shit that like conservatives come up with is like some of the weirdest shit sometimes. Like, especially now if you go on Twitter and just like read people talking about trans people, there's just like so like so many like weird assumptions or things people throw out there. Like they want to use the women's bathroom. It's like it's like a sex thing. Everything's like a sex thing. It's like like literally, like you could see a trans person on Twitter being like I just want to use the bathroom and not be bothered. And they're like, oh, yeah, I bet this is some dirty pervert thing for you. And they're just like, in the like hidden replies, there's like the wildest shit you've ever seen. They just like start like all this fan fiction of like what they think is going on inside like gay and trans people's heads. And like, it's like, I assume that trans people just want to go to the bathroom in the bathroom that looks like like the, the same gender that they post a like, screenshot of like a fet life page where it's like someone someone who's got a pee fetish and then they're like <laughs> i saw this one fet life profile it must be uh <laughs> yeah yeah or even like if there's no just like just like make shit up about people and yeah sometimes it's based on like, like oh yeah there's the gay people bug catcher thing like i've seen this collage of forum posts talked about how even gay people are degenerate and they all want hiv because there's like a screenshot of like four comments of people saying bug chasery shit yeah i don't know i I hate it but then yeah like i hate it but then i imagine being like like a 12 year old kid reading that and being like oh is that what it means to be gay like huh yeah when i uh was a kid my I was lucky my mom taught me about this stuff in a reasonable way. Like I knew trans people existed before the transgender tipping point. (laughs) I had gay relatives who were accepted in the family and I knew that in places sometimes they weren't accepted though. Like I was aware of that as a kid. Like it's so crazy to think about a little kid's mind having to navigate that sort of knowledge even as a straight kid, but especially a gay kid, like a kid who's having the first latent stirrings of romantic interest and stuff. When I was a kid, I was told that if you see people giving them a hard time, you have to stand up for them. I I don't remember my parents ever saying anything about gay people, positive or negative, but I did have a general sense based on how they responded to most things that 
I felt it was extremely unlikely they would care. But it still would have been nice to have some like positive statement about it being okay or whatever. But definitely way, way better than having any negative statements. I remember my cousin's dad once saying to us, well, to his son mostly, but I was standing there, <laughs> that he would be disappointed if he was gay. And then I never liked him again after that. I'm disappointed in you too, motherfucker. Yeah. I don't know. Like, it's hard to explain. It's like a deep, like, distrust feeling of like, oh, this person doesn't like me for some reason. Right. Well, I remember, I remember middle school being a really homophobic place, like casually homophobic, like in the logic and wording and oh yeah, the slurs are just used constantly then for, in my age demographic being born in the beginning of the nineties. Yeah, me too, for sure. Did you have that feeling with other, with that sort of ambient homophobia, like that you couldn't trust people who were like that or? Mm, I don't know. It depends. Uh, I think to some extent I probably repressed it because it was like everybody. But also there was like some amount of like, uh, I feel like an implied distinction between saying it and like, like something about telling your kid you would be disappointed in them feels like deeper than making like dick sucker jokes or something. (laughs) But it definitely didn't make me feel good. Yeah, it's it's a it's a different feeling. One of them was like a deep like rejection feeling, even though it wasn't my adult. The other was more like feeling like like I liked something embarrassing. Like say you like like a TV show that everyone else thinks is for kids. It's like goofy. It's kind of embarrassing, humiliating. That was more the uh, sense of that type of joking. It was like oh, it's uh it's humiliating to be me. Not it's like deeply unacceptable it's more just like a a goofy weird thing about you yeah that's interesting the having a secret show that you like is an interesting metaphor (laughs) it kind of resonates with me and like although i can't pin down something in specific but just that sort of like knowing although it's it's like it's like jurassic park with that sort of homophobe like it's like you're jurassic park and the velociraptors are walking by you when you're like in a homophobic society a homophobic subculture and you're not out as gay and people keep on saying homophobic shit all the time it's almost kind of like the homophobic beast walks by you and it might be a threat or it might not i don't know that maybe it's not a great metaphor right more intense than the one that you used for sure (laughs) (laughs) it's just interesting how president like i i think and i think it's a lot better now from what i hear but i assume not everywhere but oh you know what it is the what i was trying to think of the I feel like the reason it didn't feel like a big threat is not that there's anything wrong with that. I feel like that there's a big undercurrent of that in my experience of it. It was like, yes, we constantly joke about this, but not that there's anything wrong with it. Not, not deeply wrong. It's kind of like cringe to, we didn't have that term then, but it's kind of cringe to be gay, but there's nothing wrong with it. I wonder where where does that phrase come from? Not that there's Seinfeld. I think there's an episode of Seinfeld where, I I've, I never watched sense. Seinfeld, but it's I think kind of a neurotic, funny neuro- Like I definitely, it's funny that rings a bell for me too around homophobia in middle was, school. Yeah, it's definitely a meme. Not that there's anything wrong with it. Yeah, yeah it's like you you say the homophobic stuff, but then you're like, well, I mean, technically it's okay, and I'm and but it, it was sincere. No, it, it's true. Like that was 
that was how the non-homophobic kids justified to themselves participating in it too is right. interesting yeah yeah it's funny because i like think back on that and i have sort of pangs of guilt knowing i participated in these bad things but it also doesn't really resonate with my idea of myself like why how did you participate in that like even knowing it was wrong and it's like you had this, these irony barriers and stuff like it's easy enough to build irony barriers like that in various contexts right but yeah the, not that there's anything wrong with that seinfeld if it was seinfeld really uh provided a yeah cover <laughs> Or yeah, either it's a cover for homophobia or it's like the steam valve that makes it not severe. So it wasn't punishing to be around because Seinfeld gave kids the tool to say just kidding in a way that resonated. Right, right, right. But not just kidding, not just kidding about the joke, but just kidding about whether or not being gay is worth making fun of. Like just kidding, being gay isn't worth making fun of, but then you just keep doing it. But like you have your own little Yeah, yeah. No, yeah, I feel like the message I took with that it is worth being made fun of, but it's not like fundamentally wrong. It's just like, yeah. Uh, tide of history slowly turning. <laughs> yeah. Different uh, parts come at different times. But yeah, thinking about it being better now, it's funny, like I remember like two years after I graduated, my friend told me that his little brother said that everyone in the school now, the school that we used to go to, was bisexual. Uh, <laughs> and so part of me, I remember being like, ah, oh, damn, really? Like there was zero out gay by anyone people when I was at this school. And now you're saying everyone's bisexual? What a world I could have lived in. <laughs> if everyone was bisexual, that would have been wonderful. Anyway, I assume that it, this was a great exaggeration. There was probably just like a couple kids who came out as bi or something two or three but it also like that's this memory is what i always think of when i hear people saying like oh my my daughter's class they're all trans the whole class has become trans now and it's it's such it's catching on and i'm like are they all or is there like two or three or something yeah i don't know the the social contagion thing is weird and it's the other argument against telling kids that it's okay to be gay or trans that this will somehow like trick them into thinking they are when there's no like evidence that that can happen canada became the first or one of the first countries to pr actually like measure how many trans people exist within canada in our census last year uh, it was the first time the question was on there where they distinguished between sex at birth and gender identity so they got a measure of trans people and amongst generation z it was like 0.79 percent so very small percentage of the population it doesn't it's not this thing where every kid in the class is trying it's still even among that cohort the youngest kids the ones who are the most accepting of it still very low uh, it's slightly higher than older age groups which i think is pretty easy to account for in terms of just general acceptance and whatnot but yeah it was like i think the the oldest age group was like 0 0.15 or something like that yeah uh, boomers are 0 0.15 percent and older than boomers are 0 0.12 percent but like millennials greatest gen yeah greatest gen the millennials are 0 0.51 and gen x are 0 0.19 so like yeah you can frame that as like oh it's 0 0.79 <laughs> that's like four times as much as gen x but it's still just like a really small percentage of people so you'd think if something was a social contagion it would affect more people than that yeah there's that graph people show of like 
the amount of left-handedness growing over time. Like left-handedness used to be repressed. And then when you could start writing with either hand and they wouldn't force you to always write with your right based on some weird sort of religious tradition. (laughs) When they let people start writing with their left hand, there was an increase at the start and then it leveled out too. We now understand today how many people are (laughs) left-handed. So similarly, by stopping to repress, we're in the process of learning and we're probably not at the end of it, how many people are transgender or non-binary. Right. And so far it's under 1%. Yeah, even with all the massive increase, the 400% increase from Gen X, it's still under 1%. I would expect to see that it goes to over 1% in the future and maybe even settles somewhere in the single digits. Yeah. Just a guess. But there's plenty of breathing room in terms of <laughs> a worry that they're the, my my kids class is all transgender yeah 100% because <laughs> that's the technically the claim if you say my class the kids class is all transgender what you're saying is that 100% of the kids in this class are trans it just seems really really unlikely based on canadian census data from last year yeah there's so much unfair attacks on trans people and they all generally connect to the think of the children frame being used maliciously by bad actors who want to force people to live their lives in closets but i mean we could be here all day debunking that stuff yeah it's definitely true so the real dispute and not often like said out loud by the anti-trans anti-queer people is there's a certain percentage of people who are bisexual who could live their life straight or gay who would live in the closet if social conditions were bad enough that they were forced to. And the same thing goes for trans people. There's people who are, for lack of a better word, queer that could live their lives on in a variety of ways based on their own free judgment that would live repressed. There is a level of social suppression that would force them to live lives in the closet. And there's a lot of people that like, a, I know people who have decided to live cisgender lives despite identifying as trans for periods of time based on social, the social impact of it and the context that they were in. So, like, the real debate, the real thing that's being pushed here, the real point of contention is how much do we stigmatize this happening? Like... <laughs> Yeah, yeah, they, like I yeah, I don't think you can make gay people straight or make trans people not trans, but yeah, like you can make probably most bi people just live straight lives and a good percentage of gay people too. And like trans people, you could probably push most people into the closet with enough inciting of hatred and violence towards them. Yeah. Stigmatization, enough libs of TikTok are running. Eventually, everyone starts lying, and the the world is like a cartoon parable. So yeah, that's why I support rainbow flags and drag queen story time sincerely. And I've kind of thought a lot about it because of the internet, like these discourses that happen. Yeah. But you've definitely always been my go-to expert, Aaron. (laughs) You're always two steps ahead of me on the latest disputes. No, yeah, when this one started coming in and replacing critical race theory is like the big thing conservatives were pushing as the culture war forefront. I was just like, (sighs) like, I don't, I don't want this. 
Not that Critical Race Theory is any better, but yeah, it definitely hate this one a lot. But yeah, that's another think of the children thing that was big very recently. Like, oh, we're teaching these poor white kids to... There was even this thing in the debate sphere a lot of right-wing people are doing of like... I can't remember. It was like Jimmy or something. They just like had this made up name for this poor little white kid who's like being left out now or being taught that he's evil because he's white. And then all the non-white kids are going to make fun of him and be like, you're a colonizer and like uh, throw rocks at him or something. Like, please just think of Jimmy. Like, what what about Jimmy and how horrible his life is going to be with this critical race theory teaching kids that it's evil to be white and you're a slave owning monster if you were born with a certain skin color, which like obviously is not what critical race theory is. Most of what they're calling critical race theory isn't critical race theory. It's literally just teaching like accurate stuff about American history, racism, white supremacy in American history, Canadian history, teaching about actual facts of the past and how they affect social conditions today. But uh, yeah, it all gets like, boiled down to oh they're teaching white kids to hate themselves yeah it's again about lying like it's about you know like hierarchy has a way of like eroding the truth uh like hierarchical systems and hierarchical logic and reason has a way of like eroding the truth and the move to like ban critical race theory in terms of like accurate teaching of american history as like a settler colonial and not even using these words for for kids but like teaching the reality of slavery existing like the dispossession of the americas and stuff like if you want to teach kids about history that's just like part of history in a very neutral way and the argument is basically that that needs to be removed in favor of a historiography which is built for national interest like a propaganda history that is literally known lies yeah so like they're saying think of the children to argue for probably one of the worst things that you can do socially and politically which is like you know rewrite history from the perspective of like the ruling class and deprive people of knowledge of sort of the flows and shape of history yeah and and like give kids an incorrect view of like like if you don't teach about the history of white supremacy and the effects of white supremacy on society today then kids aren't going to understand that which is bad, like, because it's not just history. It's like the way of history affects the current society and the people who are living in the society with you. Like, w- what it would mean to have an equal society and, like, the ways in which there's still gaps to be closed there. Because, yeah, if anything, if they want to teach anything about slavery, like, obviously they don't want to completely pretend slavery didn't happen, but there's, like, all these lines about how, oh, it was inevitable that the the day the constitution was signed the end of slavery was already i've heard this line the end of slavery was already the fate was sealed because obviously our founding fathers understood that this would unfold 100 years later to get like get slavery out of the picture which is bullshit and then like yeah the story can end with like the 1960s when equality was fully achieved and we in black and white photographs even though color film was available <laughs> and even though in the 1960s when those things were being fought for they were doing the same shit saying think of the children we can't get rid of segregation legal segregation we have to keep it because it's going to hurt the children now they're like we can't teach kids that there's still 
racism in society because it's going to hurt the white kids. Yeah, they're accusing our little children of being racist against them. Yeah. Yeah, there's sometimes posed like this difference between the individual and the universal or like the particularities versus the universal, like politics of identity versus universalist politics. But I think the, the particulars make up the universal and what applies to the particulars often has implications for the universal. And when we talk about thinking of the children, the place where these threatening intentional misuses of this strong rhetorical argument that we have ethical responsibilities towards children in all these misapplied hierarchical ways. If we think about the children in all these instances, we should think of the children who are ostracized, othered, deprived, targeted. Right. And by doing that, we can get a better picture of the universal. So the sliver of truth with the critical race theory history thing is that it is probably true that sometimes kids who are white feel bad for learning about you know, what colonizers did and realizing that they're descendants of, they have some connection to that. Like yeah. it might be true that they, some kids or adults for that matter, anyone might reasonably feel bad about that, even though it's sort of based on a, an untrue blending of the individual and the society they're a part of misrepresenting the, like to feel guilt is to take agency for it in a place where your agency is like fairly small. Like if you're at the point of realizing racism is bad in that moment, like anyways. The <laughs> yeah, like rather than, oh, think of how my poor child won't be able to maintain their position at the top of a hierarchy. In general, to focus on the dispossessed, the underdog, in whatever particular thing you're talking about. But then also that like, yeah, the I've definitely seen some like cringe. There was one about gender I saw a while ago where like there was like some classroom where some kid, they had like the boys performatively apologize to the girls for patriarchy or something, which just seems weird. <laughs> it's, I don't recommend. I uh, like definitely teach the kids about patriarchy, but like it's not these boys' fault. You can teach the kids that all of us have a responsibility to unlearn patriarchal ideas and not enact patriarchal structures that oppress girls like that's bad we should all do that but yeah the apologizing thing is a bit weird yeah i don't know if i imagine it's like a, a sort of like a forced apology th i can sort of look at it through the cringe lens but i can also look at it through a more innocuous lens depending on like if a kid if a kid wanted to apologize a kid might want to apologize sometimes you see kind of performative apology things on like race or gender lines that like adults do as like a performative thing. And so I don't even think that's a bad thing. Uh, but yeah, the force part is what's kind of weird about it. And the kind of confusing of like individual responsibility with group responsibility. But I feel like at least adults, like we're all born into the society with an inherited situation, but to some extent adults are co-creators of society in a way that I think children aren't so if you want to apologize for patriarchy as an adult man it's fine to take some ownership over that but like putting ownership of that onto kids is not the best thing but if a kid who is a boy feel and then it's like oh i said i've said mean things about girls before and it's actually kind of fucked up i've realized now because we learned about patriarchy in school that makes sense like yeah you can apologize yeah there's i think there's reasonable discussions to have about what ages kids are brought into the fold about different things that we know about the world but generally we should share with them what we know like what we know to be true yeah 
Like, there's lots of weird rituals. As, that's that's sort of what I'm thinking of. Like, this is probably playing the devil's advocate too much because I don't care or desire that for children that the boys would all apologize to the girls all ritualistically. But all the boys apologizing to all the girls ritualistically strikes me like anthropologically as something that could be genuinely part of a healthy society if it was done correctly. It didn't seem like the worst ritualistic. I mentioned I went to Catholic school. We, uh, until junior high, I think, I can't remember, but when I was in elementary school, for sure, we recited the Lord's Prayer every morning, like the way American kids recite the Pledge of Allegiance. And it's just, it's kind of a weird thing. Like, it's just so seared into my head. Like, I can, (laughs) our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. It'd be sweet if they ended it with like, it's okay to be gay. It's okay to be trans. God (laughs) loves you. Amen. Yeah. Just pop that in there. Yeah. I would have liked it. Not that there's anything wrong with that. (laughs) (laughs) Some people are gay. Some people are trans. Not that there's anything wrong with that. Yeah. This is kind of like a basic, like sort of Reddit atheist point, but like, you know, commit to the logic of God a bit. God made gay and trans people. Makes sense. God doesn't make mistakes. So if you think he mistakenly made people trans, that just makes no sense. So, And what would the devil do? The devil would pretend to be God to try to turn people against each other. Also, uh, just weird religion thing. Like, I feel like the first time I really considered sex was when I asked people what virgin meant because the word Virgin Mary gets thrown around a lot. Uh, right. The Virgin Mary, we love the Virgin Mary. It's great. I also like the Hail Mary, Hail Mary full of grace, the Lord is with thee, blessed are thou amongst women. Blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Also, like just in terms of like, if you think kids should be completely protected from all mentions and understanding of sex, like I played Joseph in the Christmas play in sixth grade. Uh, so we had like lines we were talking about. Like I was married to a woman who was giving birth to a kid, but I wasn't the father. But the father was God, but she's a virgin. And these are all things we're talking about in our lines in the play. If you're thinking of this, like kids should be completely protected from all mentions of sex in all contexts. Like the Christmas story, you kind of can't tell kids that. Right. Yeah. You got to cut the virgin thing. You got to drop this weird virgin thing and just... (laughs) (laughs) But it's like, it's crucial to the thing because like God, uh, you know, that's how you know God was the father. Yeah. And why the the fruit of the womb is so blessed, as they like to tell me. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Yeah. The the fruit of the womb. Womb fruit. That's all kids are. They're just womb fruit. That's all that God embodied in the flesh is. Womb fruit. (laughs) Bysworth is on the line. He wants to uh, continue your feud. All right, put him through. Hello, Bysworth? Spensworth, uh, what a pleasure to uh, be hearing from you today. Uh, well, I mean, technically, I'm hearing from you, Bysworth, but... Uh... Well, I'm sure you remember our friendly, uh, or should I say not-so-friendly, <laughs> bet on who could profit the most off of undermining the well-being of children. Oh, yes, I actually have created quite a bit of misery for those little ones <laughs> since I last talked. <laughs> I've got an update for you, Spensworth, because I have been causing a lot of child misery for profit as well. <laughs> oh, Bysworth, do you think you can outdo me? 
Not a chance. Well, I've been buying and selling minerals from child labor mines. For great profit, I might add. <laughs> it's child's play. Who doesn't do that? Spends worth. It was a lot of minerals and I made a lot of money. A lot of slavery. Not only did we increase the number of child slaves within our organization by triple, we convinced all the newspapers not to report on it because we've been feeding them stories of fake things that are happening to children. You know, litter boxes, pronoun things. Not a peep about child slavery in any of these publications. Oh, but you fell into my trap. Oh, we'll see about that. Your publications have been reposting stories of my organization's anti-LGBT newspaper service made for profit, which is targeted specifically at making LGBT children miserable. You've been helping me, Spensworth. You fell into my oh, trap. Oh, Bysworth. Well, it's still our news outlets spreading the stories. And you know what else our news outlets have been doing? We've been pushing really hard for a candidate that I've been funding who wants to protect the legalization of child marriage. <laughs> uh, uh, what do you say to that? No, you're spending all that money on a senatorial candidate without even putting in the platform that he's going to lower safety standards on baby food? <laughs> amateurish. Frankly, amateurish. Spend all that he time and money. He hasn't said he won't lower them. Well, I'm waiting to hear him say he will. I am. I really, we all are. And we will be voting for him. And that's the problem with you. You just wait around for someone else to take away rights and create misery for oh, children. Well, as we here at Spensworth Industries... My company is fighting in the Supreme Court right now for immunity on child slavery. It's going to be a lot of exploitation as a result of that. Now, while you're busy fighting on the Supreme Court, we are busy carving out little exceptions to things that technically aren't child slavery. Well, I have to... I'm, I guess it's just a wash between us then. We've both we've both done a lot, and we're both... It's just... We're an impasse for now. Yeah, the scoreboard remains equal, but I remain confident that we will out-harm children. Yeah, with a fat chance. Things on your end seem to be sputtering. No. You'll be helping children in no time. <laughs> I won't be. And I won't be helping any children. At your own expense, no less. I think mm, that's not true. That is not true. You're you're going to be doing mm, that. No, we'll see. Yeah. Well, I'll call you again in a few days. All right. Talk soon. Okay. Bye bye. Bye. Miss you. Oh, no, uh, no, you're my please. best friend. I'm just kidding. Yeah. Unless. I hate you. Well, unless. a little both. Bye bye. It's very special what we have. That's all I'll say. Yes, especially anger-inducing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay, bye. Bye. No, Bysworth, you always want me to hang up first. Spensworth, you hang up first, you miserable dog. Fine, but only because I have more children harming to do. Good day. So, thinking of the children in politics is genuinely... A useful thing to do because of children's unique vulnerability and place in society. It's an ethical insight that is worth applying to one's politics. However, won't somebody think of the children is misused intentionally to reinforce hierarchical systems with spurious, nonsensical arguments that basically function through raw repetition and association rather than like logic and reason and ethics. So I thought it might be good to, just wrapping up here, to think about ways that you could think of the children politically in ways that are beneficial. And one of the first things that comes to mind for me is 
stopping the physical punishment of children and generally like engaging children as intelligent beings to the highest degree possible is something you can do like politically to embrace and support children in society, uh, changing things like the school system, making sure that climate change is dealt with. It's, it's, a, it's just essential that the biosphere and ecology is taken care of imminently to the highest degree possible in every way possible for the sake of everyone, but especially children who will in, inherit the world. Like th this is the kind of stuff that I'm doing if I'm thinking of the children politically. Yeah, climate change is a big one. Makes sense because it's so future oriented. Yeah, actually, I got to say, like, let's just put up like having a rainbow flag in a classroom and catastrophic climate change next to each other. And like, think of the comparative impacts that these two things have on children for a second. Like, yeah, let's think of the children here. Let's do an experiment between these two things. Yeah, that's the <laughs> we shouldn't faithfully and uncritically think of the children in the way that is prescribed by our betters and passed down to us. Let's really run the experiment. Catastrophic climate change, po children. Think about children in relation to climate change. Rainbow flags in classrooms and the teacher saying that it's okay to be gay or trans and that's part of the normal spectrum of accepted human behaviors and expressions. Po effect on children. The only way I think to reach the wrong conclusion on that is to <laughs> just be greatly mistaken about both of these topics, like not, <laughs> not believe climate change is real or a real problem or really going to happen. And like, just believe some wild shit about what teaching gain trans acceptance would mean. Yeah. And as long as you have climate change down, you could act, I was thinking like, do you have to be misinformed on both? <laughs> And I determined you don't, actually. Yeah, you believe everything <laughs> Libs of TikTok says, but you also just are fully in line with the facts of climate change. Yeah, uh, exactly. Yeah, it's still still a bigger threat for you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Even if you believe all that, all that Libs of TikTok lying bullshit, as long as you also believe climate change, we're good in terms of weighing this out. No, yeah. I think in general, think of the children... One of the biggest things that society needs to do to increase the well-being of children and giving children better lives and better experiences of the world is probably just to recognize that children are full people who have their own perspective and their own, like give them ability to express their needs and more ways for them to have their needs met uh, as like a general statement. Yeah. It Make sure that they know that there's room for them in the world and that they won't be ostracized, you know, like that. Such an important thing for kids to know that they don't have to be some narrow thing that's being put on them, that there's like a spectrum of opportunities. And like, it's, it's not only like treating kids like they have agency, but like teaching kids that they have agency as well. Definitely. That's, that's the paradigm. I always get stuck, caught up on the child lib stuff because it's like, often there's not... There's not uh, a full discussion of the the developmental ages of kids and like how, like to some degree, kids need to not only be given freedom, but they need to be nourished and protected. And these things aren't in contradiction. Yeah. And given boundaries and like, yeah. Like if your kid says they need to eat only candy for a year, you don't have to feed them only candy for a year. I'm not saying just do whatever kids say. And I'm not saying that kids are adults and can make every decision an adult can make. 
like you have to still root your understanding of like how much agency kids have in their sort of developmental trajectory that they're along. But like, so the, the ideology that says that kids basically aren't people and just need to be bossed around and used to make their parents look good or to fulfill their parents' ideas of what they should be. They're sort of like instrumental to the parents' ideas of what the family, et cetera, should be like. Uh, like that's the kind of thing that I think we need to push back against. And like, yeah, kids don't have all the agency in the world when they're born, but like we need to teach them how to exercise the agency that they do have. But yeah, sincerely and unironically, Please think of the children when it comes to climate change, when it comes to poverty, when it comes to war, when it comes to the prospect of building a post-scarcity, sufficiently automated, luxury, communalist, library socialist society, a commune of communes, where people are paid according to need and they have access to a greater abundance of experiences than ever before provided in human history, but now provided for far less of an ecological cost because of the scaling up of communal sharing through use of Fructian library lending system. That's the conclusion of really thinking about the children. Yeah. When I was a kid, I loved the library because they let you take out books for free. And oh, yeah. I didn't have a lot of money as a child. Well, you never got to go to a store and like spend money, right? Like, yeah. You're present always... your own card and like be given things to take with you. Yeah. It's yeah. like the first place that you actually give the kid the card and let them really go make their own choices. And I read fucking Calvin and Hobbes. I read UFO books. I read How to Do Magic books. And I read Mad Magazine. And all those things I would have never had without the library uh, that I look back now and I'm like, oh, like, shit. Like, I love that shit. I still love UFOs. Yeah, if there had been a library for all kinds of things as a kid, I mean, obviously there probably would have been, like, they. hopefully they don't let, like, a four-year-old take out a power drill or something right yeah i hate to stereotype but toy library <laughs> yeah toy <laughs> yeah could you imagine because then like you could just have like any toy like it wouldn't be that like your parents choose which toy to buy you yeah and you then have you to beg them yeah like, there, like oh i want it. this one and then like if you don't like it that much or you want a different toy after like you could just take out different toys whenever you want no, like, oh, we already bought you toys. You don't get any new toys. Like, no, well, I'll take these ones back and then I'll get new toys. Beautiful. Yeah. And actually teaching children to participate in a library lending system in a way that respects, like, like the idea it's my toy and I can break it. Most kids don't have that idea, but it's, it's sort of like technically the rules. Right. It seems genuinely great that you could teach children alternative property arrange, like, the library is genuinely teaching children about alternative property arrangements and like having in your possession objects that are yours for a limited time that you have a responsibility to try to keep in reading order and then return when you're done. And like the big toy is going to hate this idea, but I think it's a real <laughs> revolutionary strategy. Yeah. Big toy wants you to like, you know, children buy, your the future. Kid, buy your kids all the hot wheels they want. And then they play with it for a few months and then they move on to something else. And those Hot Wheels just stay in a box in the closet. And then some other kids want Hot Wheels. They got to buy their own Hot Wheels. No, mm -hmm. not with the toy library. Hot Wheels man gets paid again. <laughs> library society, we would create far fewer Hot Wheels, but they would be better quality. And uh, we would all share them. 
play to win games like magic cards, Pokemon cards, that kind of stuff, or pay to win pack buying games and stuff like that. When you're done with your little Magic the Gathering phase, you bring all the cards back to the library and they're redistributed into new packs. (laughs) I know some people who don't play any trading card games probably hear that and they're like, oh, why would you even put them in packs? Trust me, it's a major part of the appeal of this stuff. Like a lot of people are popping more packs than they're actually playing games. Let's be honest. This is a commodity game. No, yeah, I barely ever did this, but my brother was into magic and they're just, yeah, I bought like one starter pack, the big thick one. They call it a starter pack. Yeah, like yeah. a deck you can play with. Yeah, yeah, a deck, yeah. And you're just like, it's a cool thing to open it up and be like, which cards did I get? And like, what kind of deck do I have? And yeah, mm-hmm. you do that at the library for sure. And imagine like instead of YouTube kids where they're being fed like weird ass algorithm stuff like Elsa murdering Spider-Man and <laughs> or yeah, AI generated color videos that are like just weird sounds and things calculated to keep children's attention. Yeah, what if it was like children had the ability to access a streaming service that was curated by librarians who had children's interests in mind that you could just like play as easily as going on YouTube. Seems to me like, yeah, it'd be better. A lot better. I don't know where the line on automation is here, but you can have books that read to children as well. I mean, you argue that something could be lost in that, but I could see a benefit in having a book that. Yeah. I mean, one of the tools in the toolbox for sure. See that, that's why I like to say sufficiently automated instead of fully automated. Because in a fully automated society, children's books would always automatically read to them by default. Whereas I think that we might actually find it sufficient to draw the line somewhere before <laughs> full automation. Well, it's technically a fully, fully automated society. You might even have another machine that the robot is reading to so that the kid doesn't have to sit there and be read to. That's automated <laughs> as well. The machine reads the book to another machine. and then <laughs> You can kick back, baby. <laughs> Your job is covered. <laughs> <sighs> so sick of always being read to i just need a machine to be read to for me we're finally free (laughs) (laughs) so yeah you ask us won't somebody please think of the children and we say yeah we just did mic drop let's get out of here man. children thought of checked off done but you're fronting on us we've been we you ever seen someone think about children like this some sort of like hip-hop street dancing battle except instead of rapping or dancing they're thinking about the children more (laughs) eloquently and thoughtfully and meaningfully yeah let's see you top that this this is an open challenge to all podcasts and podcasters let's see you think of the children better yeah i doubt anyone will will be able to do it but if they do then all that's great that's That's how society moves forward that is great but I've got a, we got a real braggadocia. I think we should claim it right now. When it comes, it's like, if someone's like, if someone ever says, think of the children, people should automatically think, damn, remember the time seriously wrong thought of the children? <laughs> like, shh, no one's going to think about the kids like that again for a while. That was dope. That was incredible. Yeah, no, it definitely, I think, I think we're going to be at the top for a while. Prove us wrong. Prove us wrong. Open braggadocio challenge to all podcasters, friends and enemies alike. Let's see you think of the children better. I am wrong. You are wrong. We are wrong. I am wrong. <laughs>